Welcome to the Northeast Christian Podcast. We're so excited that you've decided to check out our weekly messages. We hope that you're challenged and inspired by what you're hearing today. We'd love to have you join us this weekend at one of our campuses or online at northeast.live. For more information on Northeast, visit us at necchurch.org. If you love the Northeast podcast, subscribe to our channel and leave us a comment or a rating in the Apple Podcast Store. All right, now we are in week four. We're in week something of a sermon series that we've been doing, I think it's four, on Galatians and the doctrines of Galatians uh, called A Journey into Captivity. Um, it wasn't intentional, but I find it absolutely fascinating that if you study through Galatians, it kind of like chronologically walks you through what it looks like to follow Jesus from the point of conversion to death. It's the long obedience, if you will. So you can throw up the calendar um, and, and see kind of how we've laid this series out. Uh, in uh, the first week of the series, the start of the new year, we did an introductory overview of Galatians, like a Bible study to contextualize the book in its historical moment. And then we were off to the races breaking down some of these doctrines. So you can see the next four, revelation, justification, adoption, liberation, are the same color. And that's because these are what we might call the doctrines of conversion. They happen in a moment, but they affect you for the rest of your life. The next three in green, sanctification, mortification, reconciliation, are what we might call the doctrines of maturity. They don't happen in a moment, but you work them out over the course of your life, right? And then the last two, the blue ones, are what we might call the doctrines of, uh, of faithfulness, because you faithfully persevere and you faithfully preserve the gospel in key moments throughout your life. That's, that's the series, right? That's the series. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, though, uh, because today we are right smack in the middle of the doctrines of conversion. Uh, did you know that when Jesus reveals himself to you and you give himself, uh, yourself to him in faith, you are justified by faith in the divine courtroom? Of God, You're adopted into the family of God and you're liberated from law into love. I'm gonna tell you, if you are a Christian here today, those three realities are true of you. They're the truest part of you. And we should be thankful to God for that. And if you're not a Christian here today, then I'll go and tell you, they could be true of you. In a moment, they could. They could be true of you before you leave this room today. But only if you want them to. And I pray you'll respond today. I pray you'll respond to the doctrine of adoption. That's what we're going to uh, study together. So we do me a favor, uh, stand with me. Uh, if you are able, stand with me. If you're not able to stand, that is uh, all right. You can remain seated. Put your heart in a place of surrender and submission under the authority of God's word. Uh, those of you who can, stand with me. Thanks for standing. We're going to read from Galatians 3 and 4. We're going to do a congregational style, by the way. So I'll read the parts in white and uh, y'all read the parts in yellow. Can you do that? Here we go. Galatians 3, starting in verse 26, the apostle Paul writes, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all have been united with Christ in baptism, have put on Christ, like putting on, new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Verse 4. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his 
very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Word of the Lord, you can be seated. And do not gloss over those eternal truths in that passage today. Thanks be to God for every last word of his word, including the word adoption. All right, now, like last week, uh, real quick to start today, I want to give you like a basic theology class definition of adoption that we can build on. So if you're not into like the theology stuff, you know, hang in there. Don't hold your breath because it might, okay, but it's going to be a minute, but, but hang in there, all right? We'll, we'll get to the practical stuff. All right, so, so here's adoption. Adoption comes from the, the Greek word, uleothesia, uh, uleothesia. Uh, and it's a compound word. There's two words that, that make it up. There's the Greek word for son, uios, and the Greek word uh, for, for to put or to place is the verb tithemi. So you can see how the words go together, uleothesia, or to put, to place a son. It's the placement, the appointment, of a son. Now, I put the Greek word for daughter up there for you as well, because I think that's important. But uh, sadly, in the Greco-Roman context that we're dealing with today, oftentimes adoption was not practiced for girls. It's practiced for boys, which is why you see huios as the, as the first word there. Uh, but it operated very similar to how adoption operated today, at least in the legal sense. In the Greco-Roman world, adoption was a legal transaction that signified the immediate change of familial status. Now, what makes adoption today and back then different, though, were the reasons why people would adopt. Uh, So uh, today, when families adopt, they usually adopt young kids, and they adopt them out of very difficult situations because of a heart of compassion you might have. And it's a beautiful thing. I've been in courtrooms before when adoptions have been finalized. What a moment. But that is not why people adopted in Rome, okay? What usually happened in Rome was like a wealthy man realized that he didn't have any sons to inherit his estate, or he realized that he didn't like any of his current sons. So he would go out and find a son that he did like and adopt him into the family. (laughs) Could you imagine a rich man doing that today, by the way? Saying to his, uh, his kid, you know, sorry, son, uh, love you, but you've shown absolutely no proof that you are responsible at all, capable of carrying on a family name at all. Basically, you just play video games, rack up credit card debt, you are an entitled, res- irresponsible little jerk, so uh, allow me to introduce you to Steve. He's your big brother now. <laughs> He'll be taking things from here. <laughs> all right? I mean, he's just... Uh. Uh, but many scholars actually argue that Paul was building... He was building on this cultural practice right here in Galatians 3 and 4. But what's interesting is the way that Paul talks about God's adoption for us is totally backwards in terms of the motives for adoption back then. You see, God didn't need a better heir. He had a perfect son in Christ. And yet he still chose to adopt raggedy old us in our sin. In a way, God's adoption of us at a heart level is more like adoption today, perhaps it was a precursor for adoption today, than it was back then because of God's great compassion. 
Now back to our slide here. In Rome, the legal transaction was sort of a give and take, if you will. From the son's perspective, the following things would happen. First, there would be a total disavowal of your old family identity. You immediately go from being like a Johnson to a Smith, if you will. Second, there's a complete surrender of property. Your wealth, your property now transfers to the father who's now the head of your household. Next, there's a renunciation of personal autonomy. You don't get to direct uh, your life anymore. You come under the authority of the head of household. For example, if you were adopted back then and you weren't married yet, you now give the rights to your father to arrange that. Um, basically, it was just a total surrender under the authority and discipline of the father. To which some of you are like, I don't like this whole adoption thing anymore, right? Well, well, maybe not except for the last two here because that's what you have to give, but this is what you receive in return. You receive the full inheritance rights of the father though. And you also enjoy the legal coverage and the social status that comes with being a part of an important family, which could include paying off any old debts that you had. Now, with that being said, can you see, can you see how this sort of sets the groundwork for the Christian doctrine of adoption and how we enter into a relationship with God? This is basically the story that the Bible tells here. Okay, next slide here. Here's the doctrine. We are trapped in slavery, the slavery of sin with orphan hearts. Our debt of sin is unpayable. Our despondency of soul is unshakable. We're lost. But by faith, Jesus steps in and he pays our debt and sets us free from sin. Then God adopts us, not just the boys, as daughters and sons, and then the spirit of adoption fills our orphan hearts with affection. Sure, we disavow our old identity. We disavow our personal rights. We give the right of leadership and authority to the heavenly father. But in exchange for that, we receive a new status in Christ and the inheritance rights of Christ. Wow, the transformation here is a radical one, y'all. We move from orphan slaves to co-heirs with Christ and children of the Father, and it has nothing to do with who we are and everything to do with what Jesus has done. It's all grace, y'all. The doctrine of adoption. And wow. Now, are you following the theology? I want you to follow the theology. Okay. Now, the nerd part of this sermon has not ended yet, okay? So hold on to your pocket protectors, nerds. Uh, because what I want to do now is I want to go from, from like theological to philosophical. So uh, I love that one of the primary metaphors, and the Bible could use any metaphor it wants to, right? Like, it's, I mean, it's a metaphor. But I love that one of the primary metaphors that the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, chose to describe our adoption is the, me or excuse me, our salvation is the metaphor of adoption. He chooses adoption to describe our salvation. Now, the reason why I did it is because adoption is so relational. And the reason why such a relational metaphor is fitting is because, well, that's who our God is. We actually serve a relational God. So here's your philosophical argument. I want you to follow with me here, all right? As Christians, uh, next slide here. Uh, we believe that God is personal. We serve a personal God. Why do we say that? Well, it's because God's triune. We serve a God who's a trinity. God eternally lives in relationship 
as the Trinity. Now, real quick, I know that the Trinity can be very confusing. It can be a part that hangs you up about Christianity. Uh, God is one, but also the three persons. How does that work? It, it's tough to explain, a mystery of our faith, for sure. But it does explain a lot about why humans exist in the way that we do, why we are so oriented towards relationships. You ever notice that? It's because, back to our slide here, number two, personal relationality is one of the deepest features of reality. God is a trinity. He's existed for all of eternity in relationship. So no wonder we're so relational. By the way, this is the only reason you can say God is loved. You know that, right? Everybody loves to talk about a God of, God of love. People, people say, say, I don't know what I believe about God, but I believe he's a God of love. Okay, I do too. I agree. But you need to understand that love is actually impossible without a plurality of persons, without relationship. In order for love to exist, you need a lover and a beloved. Do you see how this works? So if God wasn't primarily a, a plurality of persons, love's not who he is. Love can be something that he does when he feels like it. Love can be something that he creates later on, but it would not be fundamental to his nature. The only way for God to be love is if he existed as a plurality of persons for all of eternity, which is the uniquely Christian claim. That's our claim. Now that brings us to number three in our argument. Are you still following me? Elbow your husband, follow me here, okay? Number three, we move from God's nature to now humans. As human beings, we're created in God's image, right? And so that's why we're so relational. That's why we are actually hardwired to both give love, like I wanna love people, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna love the veil, right? but also receive it. We need love in return. This, by the way, is not even up for debate. It's a scientific fact. The human species cannot survive or thrive without healthy relationships. For example, it is now well-documented that the emotional development of, of kids depends from the moment of birth on the quality of their relationships. I've had uh, three kids uh, in, the, in the last decade and there's this thing that they had us do at the hospital uh, each time. It's called uh, kangaroo care. You heard of this? Yes. Kangaroo care. It's, it's skin to skin uh, care for your kid. Basically, as soon as you have a baby, they put the, the baby right on mom's chest, skin to skin. Very sweet. Very sweet moment. But the, the question is why? Why? Well, it's been proven that skin to skin time with both mom and dad, by the way, immediately after birth, and then about an hour or two a day going forward is important for the child. It's important for bonding. It's important for comfort, for sleep, for weight gain, for, for overall wellness. This, by the way, is why we are now cursed with all those uncomfortable pictures of shirtless dads on Facebook with their baby. It's like, <laughs> why did mom choose to put that one in the roll on, on the gram? I didn't want to see that one. Was, you know, you're going through the pictures, you're like, oh, look, the baby's wearing a hat. Oh, it's so cute. Next one. Oh, mommy and the baby, they're sleeping together. How did she get her makeup on so fast? Next one. Um, oh, there's dad's hairy chest <laughs> and the baby signing off, right? Like this, but you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? And you're like, ah, right. But, but we will survive America. We will survive. We've been looking at beach pictures with feet in the bottom of them for years. So we can look at ugly things. We have a tolerance that we have built up. No more feet pictures, please. 
Now, what's my point? <laughs> yes, yeah, see that hand in the back. Go ahead, Tyler. We do not know what your point is. What's my, what's my point? Here's, there's a point here. The point is from the moment of birth, we have a hardwired need for personal intimacy and relationality. So back to our slide here, number four. That's why Christians say God is love. That's why Jesus gives us two great commandments that are inevitably and inherently relational. Love God, love others. And that's why salvation is explained with a relational metaphor like adoption. Do you see? You still follow me? It is fascinating to me. Fascinating that one of the prevailing metaphors in the Christian story is adoption. And it is a metaphor, by the way. It was chosen. That metaphor was chosen on purpose. God isn't actually like a, a father in the physiological and cultural sense that we think of today. Uh, God isn't a male. He isn't married to your, your mom, okay? He doesn't have a dad bod or smoke meats or mow, mow the lawn in white New Balances or yell at the refs on TV even though he's watching her on 30-minute delay, okay? Like, he doesn't do dad stuff like many of us do. He's not a dad in that sense of the word. It's a metaphor, but it's a strong one, strong one. Because it illustrates God's heart for us. And also the hole in our hearts that longs for him. So this is one of my bottom lines for the message today. This is huge. I believe that there is something deep within the human heart that wants to be claimed, nurtured, protected and parented by a good authority and a loving family. We all want to be adopted by someone. And this is the offer of the Christian faith. Okay, now nerd part over. All right, let's, let's go practical here. Let's go practical. I, I don't know if you've noticed this. Have you noticed... We are living right now through a crisis of belonging. It's at crisis low. It's a, a society drowning in loneliness where literally everything we do pulls us towards isolation rather than toward one another in healthy relationship. Uh, screens pull us away from in-person interactions. Politics polarize us by creating tribes and hate and enemies. The way we flippantly handle sex right now alienates our partners, traumatizes us, and devastates the family system. The way we can so quickly opt out of marriage isolates kids. The way we move from city to city for work or, or whatever it may be, it actually undermines our ability to build deep friendships. I tell you, man, it feels, it just feels like a strategy of the enemy is to play on the radical individualism in our society right now and isolate us. Uh, really, the, the only communities our culture creates are, are these little tribes that unify us around shallow affinities. We, uh, we unify around politicians. We unify around causes. We unify around our, our favorite celebrities. You know, any Swifties in the room? The, un, the unity there is something to behold. The church can learn. We unify around sports teams. 
This guy lives in Louisville. I hope he goes to our church. If you are this guy, I want to meet you. And uh, we also unify around hobbies. You know, anybody in here in a cycling cult? You know one of those? Okay, now I'm, just, I'm kidding, sort of. I love, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a fitness cult too. I'm about it, right? Because there ain't nothing like sweating it out in a small room with a bunch of young professionals trying to get that spring break bod, you know? You got two months, by the way, young ones. Two months till spring break. We just are magnetically drawn towards community. It's fascinating to me, fascinating. There's, there's been a fair amount of research now done on how uh, normal people are radicalized into extremist groups. Like why do American kids, there are stories of this, American kids move to the Middle East and become a terrorist. Why do groups like the KKK or the Proud Boys still exist and are able to continue to get young people? How is it that the far ends of the political spectrum rec recruit young folks that have fervor and excitement? How? Well, the studies say over and over that these young people were simply looking for a place to belong, somewhere to matter. And these groups are good at giving them that. They're good at giving them community and a vision for how to fight for something that matters. A sociologist Charles Horton Cooley, he actually argued that we develop our sense of self by watching how others react to the different versions of ourselves that we present. Our identity is basically negotiated by watching others. Our identity comes from the way outside eyes see us and the way outside voices talk about us. And so we're constantly buffering who we are depending on how other people respond to us. This is social media, by the way. This is what makes social media so addicting. On the gram, on TikTok, you actually get control over the presentation of yourself. Then you get feedback real time at speed and scale. And then you're able to continually calibrate your identity in order to maximize affirmation. Let's just call it like it is. Social media is not about uh, ideas, it's about identity. Social media is, is not about raw authenticity. It's about manufactured belonging. Andy Crouch is a social critic, and uh, he actually argues that this is how people form their morals now. We adopt our moral system, not by like an honest read of scripture or our sacred texts, not by like a sober thinking through of what's right or what's wrong in this situation. He suggests that we build our morality based on inclusion and exclusion today. What will get me celebrated? What will get me canceled? Okay, I'm gonna do this. So you see, you see how this works? We'll do anything to belong, anything. We will sculpt our identity for the gram. We will assimilate our morals to the masses just as long as you'll adopt me, please. Someone claim me. It's the cry of the human heart. We were created to be in relationship with God and others. Sin actually undermines that. And so we all walk around with orphan hearts. This is why one of the most painful things about relationships is betrayal. You ever been betrayed before? All it takes is one hard betrayal in life 
from a close friend or from an authority you should have been able to trust, like a pastor or or from a romantic partner that you gave your heart to, or, or God forbid it, from your parents, your mom or dad, mommy, daddy, wounds linger. And all it takes is once, just once, one tough betrayal, and it can sabotage your ability to trust people in life. That's how we get so good at putting up emotional armor. It's how we get so good at like reading the people that we can't trust and writing them off immediately. Or even like reading the people that we can trust, but keeping them at arm's length just in case. They're out to betray us. Vulnerability is all the rage right now. It's a buzzword. Uh, The experts are saying that it's key to healthy relationships. It's key to healthy relationships in your marriage, with your friends, at your workplace, on your work teams. Uh, Brene Brown, you might recognize her. She's become a household name preaching the gospel of vulnerability. And uh, that's because we all want it. We want to be vulnerable. We want to be people that, that have a people where we can be ourselves. But we just won't do it. We won't be vulnerable. That's why she has to goad us and teach us because we all live with this constant suspicion that rejection is just around the corner. I'm no good, so they'll reject me, or, or they're no good, so I can't trust them. You know, and the sad thing is that sometimes you're right, sometimes you are. People betray you. You're vulnerable with them, and they judge you, or they leave you, or they take your vulnerability and they twist it against you. Or maybe you're vulnerable with them, and your brokenness is just too ugly. So they walk away. Does this resonate with you, by the way? We're hounded and haunted by our orphan hearts. Does anyone want me? Will anyone take me? I don't want to be alone. Will you love me? Will you care for me? Will you accept me as I am with all my brokenness? cry of the human heart. There's there's something deep within the human heart, I'll say it again, that wants to be claimed and nurtured and protected and parented by a good authority and a loving family. And into this longing, into this malaise of, of distrust and betrayal and suspicion, into the relational wreckage that is human civilization, the Apostle Paul rolls out for us the doctrine of adoption. Would you just receive this today? I want to read our passage again, just over you. Just receive this. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ. All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes all the socialist distinctions, all the racial, ethnic distinctions, all the cultural distinctions that that divide us. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. In this body, we're all one in Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you're the true children of Abraham. His promise is yours. Verse four. 
When the right time came, God sent his son born of a woman subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for all of us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we're his children, God has actually sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father, for you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. The word of the Lord. Now, real quick, just a quick flyover. There are three benefits of adoption here that I don't want you to miss. Hold on to these as, as you go into your lives this week. One, adoption means redemption from the slavery of sin. You've been redeemed, my friend. You're set free. You're adopted out of the slavery of sin. By the way, you are not adopted from a place of neutrality. No, no, no. You are in a place of devastation, a place of depravity. You had no future, and yet Jesus stepped in and set you free. It's the promise of adoption. Two, adoption means you are included in the family of God. Yes, even you. It's incredible to, to, to see, by the way, how the family of God has transcended culture, class, and country over the centuries. I actually saw an article recently uh, that included several works of art that show Jesus through diverse cultural mediums. And it's beautiful. Like, for example, uh, this is a painting of Chinese Jesus stilling the waters. And this next one is a picture of Ethiopian Jesus sharing the Last Supper with his black-skinned disciples. A picture, by the way, that's ubiquitous in Ethiopia. This next one is a picture of Aboriginal Jesus who's been absorbed here into native storytelling. And this next one here, it might be familiar to some of you, is white Jesus. Painted in the 1930s, I think, 1940s. And you laugh, but the reason why you laugh is because if you were like me, I preached in a bunch of different churches when I was in college and about half of them had this picture on the wall. He gets absorbed into our cultural forms and mediums, doesn't he? Which is, by the way, why I like this next one. This is a takeoff of that one. It's called Maori Jesus, where the Maori people painted Jesus to look like them. Uh, so next slide here, you, you can see the collage. I just, I just wanna point out to you, there is no religious family that has included the world quite like Jesus. The art of the nations is living testimony that no matter your cultural background, he adopts you and you can adopt him too. Which leads us to the last promise of adoption. You know what adoption means for you today? It means the inheritance rights of Christ. I'm gonna read this verse again for the third time because I want it to sink in. Paul says, because we are his children, God has sent the spirit, the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba. This is this relational term. It's like dad, dad, daddy, father. And now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Now, of course, this inheritance includes things like heaven and eternal life and all the stuff that we love to talk about. But don't miss the passage here. The passage also says that when we are adopted, we receive the spirit of Jesus in us, the spirit of adoption. The Holy Spirit enters our hearts and we cry out with like joy, jubilation, Abba, Dad, Father. It's an inheritance 
eternal, but it's also an inheritance of belovedness now. A flood of spiritual affection fills your heart. Dad, for the record, uh, this, is not, this verse is not an excuse for you to be one of those people who say daddy God in your prayer life. I'm just saying. <laughs> but it is what this inheritance is. A father at an emotional level. So I, I saw this video recently, it was circulating. And I wanna show it to you briefly because I believe it puts words to the feeling of adoption that Paul is trying to get at here. Ch check this video out, Sweet Ivy. All right, well, there's one more gift. We have one more it's gift. It's not from Grammy, but it's, yeah, it's another gift. Why don't you Careful, open it up. There we go. I want you to read it. I'm going to be adopted? <laughs> we love you, sweetheart. We'll always be your parents. I love you. makes it 10 times watching it and 10 times just gets me, gets me. <laughs> we know deep down inside that no child should have to face the world alone, right? And this sweet little girl, Ivy, doesn't have to anymore. And neither do you. By the way, could you imagine Ivy opening that present and then declining the adoption? <laughs> Ain't no way. But then why are you? So, hey, I believe this morning God wants to restore your orphan heart. He wants to break the chains of loneliness, despair, and self-loathing. He wants to heal your mommy-daddy wounds or your relational betrayals. He wants to fill your heart with warmth and the security of family. He wants to fill your hearts with the dignity and status of daughtership and sonship. He wants to empower you at an emotional level with hope, the hope of your inheritance. There's something deep within the human heart that wants to be claimed, nurtured, protected, and parented by a good authority and loving family. And God says, here I am. Would you come be adopted? Look, there is an orphan heart. I know you. There is an orphan heart beneath all this East End confidence. Now, one of the things I've noticed, having ministered before this in the hood in Cincinnati and to a bunch of college students, is that this, this crowd's a little bit different. I've been with you for over a decade now. So I've noticed that many people who, who move here to this part of town, competent, accomplished people, well-educated, public figures, good, good reputation. And so what happens is you are so good at developing sophisticated ways to keep people believing all the hype. Talk about emotional armor, look around. Eastenders on the outside are successful and confident, but on the inside, they're haunted. Am I good enough? 
because I'm not as, as good as her. Do you like me? Because there are lots of reasons not to like me. Will you reject me when you really get to know me? Do I matter in a community where there are so many important people? It's extraordinary, y'all. Under all this success, we are a bunch of wounded children with orphan hearts aching to be adopted. And you can be. Some of y'all already adopted by the most high God. You just need to remind yourself of your identity today. So to close, I wanna invite you to do that. I wanna invite you to do something uncomfortable here. We, we don't usually do the whole, you know, every head bowed, eyes closed thing, but I like everyone to bow their head and close their eyes right now. <laughs> Just out of respect for the hurting soul next to you who, who needs this. And here's what I'm asking. If today you are struggling with an or, orphan heart, and you would just like to receive this spirit of adoption or, or you just want God to renew the spirit of adoption with you. Uh, keep your eyes closed, your head bowed, camera stays on me. Uh, I would like for you to just stand right now. Would you just stand? I want you to open your hands and I want you to receive this prayer of benediction from a pastor who loves you. Receive this today. Our Heavenly Father, your children stand before you right now in this moment, uh, crying, Abba, Father, we need you. So Father, pour out your love. Son, break the chains of the captive. Holy Spirit, fill these hearts with affection today. Those standing right now, I just want you to receive this benediction, receive this. May your loneliness give way to God's presence. May your isolation evaporate from the heat of a relationship with Jesus. May you be overwhelmed by belonging in this church. May your shame fade in the light of your dignity in Christ. May your insecurity fold beneath the weight of your confident sonship or daughtership in Christ. Uh, may your distrust of others become a calm and secure vulnerability. May your search for community in all of the shallow tribes of our time be exposed as an exercise in vanity. May your rugged individualism give way to rest and dependence on God. May the chains of your sin be broken by the power of Christ. May your orphan heart be overwhelmed today by the spirit of adoption. And may all your parental wounds be healed with the balm of the paternal love of our Abba Father. May each of you know in the deepest part of who you are that you are indeed claimed, nurtured, protected, and parented by a good authority and a loving family. And would that family stand? Everybody stand now. And together, in agreement with this prayer and in thanks for the adopting grace of God, we all say together, amen. Amen. Let's sing about adoption. <laughs>